Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Let's get into our study again from uh, the Gospel of John. We're in John 6. What I did was I put at the very beginning kind of what the last verse of last week was. And the reason I'm doing that is because that provides the context for what Jesus is, is talking about today. So he, see, he's responding in this sort of interchange that's going on between him and uh, the people that are still thinking in terms of we would like to make him our king. Now, let's remind each other, why is it that they were interested in Jesus being their king? What had prompted that whole thinking? Because he made food. Yeah, because he took some kid's lunch you know, the little uh, bread and fish, and with that little basketful, he was able to feed 5,000 people. And so when that happened, people got very excited. They said, this is, this is the guy, this is something special, and we want him to be our king. And so uh, the Bible says that literally it was their plan, uh, kind of a, you know, talk about conspiracy. Their idea was to kind of grab him and hustle him off somewhere, and they were going to try to turn him into, into the king. So from that then came this, this exchange, this, uh, this discussion about, about what the idea of, of food and how does food play into, play into our spiritual life. So, so the verse in verse 27 that we'll pick up uh, in terms of that for today, he said, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So we talked a little bit, kind of briefly, initially last week about kind of what's the difference between food that perishes versus food that endures to eternal life. And that would seem like a pretty important distinction to make, seeing as how Jesus says that one is greater than the other. And if you're going to really devote yourself to something in life then why not devote your something, yourselves to something that really matters? It's not to say that things of this life don't matter. Things of the, this life do matter. But one of the things we discussed is that the, 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 the fallacy for a lot of us as human beings is that we can so easily become so focused on temporal things that we lose sight of the spiritual things. Would you say that certainly went on in Jesus' day? Would you say that that goes on in our day today? Absolutely. And it goes on among Christian folk. It goes on in terms of anybody who has a life. How many of you have a life? Yeah, we all do. And how many of us have found ourselves saying from time to time, well, I'm sorry, but life just got in the way. Now, when we say that, what are we talking about? Yeah, we're, it's like we're chasing down every rabbit, trying to put down every, uh, uh, every fire. You know, I mean, what's that old saying? Um, when the original objective was to drain the swamp, it's hard to do that when you're surrounded by alligators, something like that, right? I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like that sometimes, is that life has a way of, of occupying us, of gripping us. 
And when that happens, what oftentimes happens then is the focus and the energy and the priority of spiritual things kind of takes a second place. So, so that makes a lot of sense that he says, work for food that endures. So there's just, I put together kind of a little chart here to illustrate some of the differences. So food that perishes is a focus on temporal, that's earthly, that's in this life, temporal survival or comforts. Whereas food that endures to eternal life, the focus is on eternal survival and comfort. Now, I I don't want you to think that I'm saying that food that perishes is unimportant. Are you hearing me say it's unimportant? No, that's good, because it's it's not unimportant, okay? But at the end of the day, everything that's in the left-hand column you can't take with you, right? And sometimes the anxiety and worry that people have about those things that are in the left-hand column, that anxiety fills them up, and then you lose sight of, these, of the items in the right-hand column. Okay, so the second thing is, is that food that perishes increases anxiety when threatened. Now, what that means is, is that let's say that... Um, you have something uh, that you cherish as, as a possession of yours or, or something that is something that is your favorite. And then somebody comes along and says, well, I want that. How do you feel at that moment? Feel like sharing? Feel like doing the Christian thing? No. That's what it's talking about. Food that endures, when the focus is on food that endures, what, what we discover is, is that when the temporal falls short... In other words, when there's not enough, that can increase your faith. All right? Does that make sense? Yeah, because what does faith do? Faith trusts that God will provide even if there doesn't seem to be any logical reason behind that. Food that perishes uh, focuses on the quantity of something. And I put the word enough with a question mark because that's one of the things that always gets asked is, will I have enough? Some of you may be thinking about that. Will I have enough? Will I have enough what? what we talked last time about some of the big fears that, uh, that our aging population has. And one of them is, will I have enough money to support me during my retirement? Another one is, will my health be good enough? All those kinds of things. And those are, those are natural and uh, to some degree normal kinds of things that we worry about. But when your focus is on food that endures, then you're quality focused. And the word enough is there, but what's the difference? Instead of a question mark, there's a what? There's an exclamation point. Faith says I have enough. Faith says I have enough, right? And when those fears kick in that says, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? What about that? Just like it was in Jesus's day when he said to Philip, well, here's 5,000 people. Will you feed them? And the first thought was, I don't think we have enough, right? Okay. All right. What, uh, what food that perishes, that is a, as a mindset. It asks the question, what has God done for me? Now, what's the fallacy in that question? Because that seems like a pretty good faithful question to ask, isn't it? What has God done for me? But what can be the fallacy in that question? Ah, so the focus is on what has he done for me lately and how come he hasn't been coming through the way I think he ought to, correct? Again, I'm looking at you not because I'm meaning anything by that. You just have a great face, you know. 
And the problem, Janet, is that you look back at me. That's the problem here. All right. All right. But what is it then that food that endures doesn't ask something, it sings it. What God has what? Already done for me. See, what, what happens is when, we're, when our mindset is on food that endures, what happens is that starts to breed and cultivate a gratefulness inside. And what gratitude does is gratitude does not look necessarily at the quantity and then measure its response off, uh, off of a quantity. What it says is that God's already done enough for me. And if I haven't won the lottery, then apparently he didn't think that would, that would be good for me. I guess it would help if I played the lottery, but besides that. Okay, then the, then the last part is food that perishes. If God doesn't give me what I want, then the mindset is I reject God as loving and I resent his giving to others. See, the posture a person takes then, if God doesn't give me the what I want as defined by me, right, then, I'm not, then even though he claims to be loving, I'm going to say he's not. And when I look around and see everybody else is getting blessed in the way that they seem to be, you know, getting blessed, and how come I'm not getting blessed the way they are, then I resent that. Have you ever resented somebody for good things that happened in their life? Oh, you are such a holy group. I have. I have. Let me tell you, that's a tough one to battle, especially when you think that you deserve better or that you deserve what, you know, because you've worked so hard, whatever that might be. All right. But food that endures, what does it does? It accepts God's grand plan. And though I don't like it in the moment, I rejoice in his blessings to others. I think that would be a worthy goal for us to shoot for. Comments, thoughts? Everyone's convicted here this morning. So, uh, all right, so let's go into the response then, okay? So verse 28, we'll look at 28 down to uh, 34. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread Always. Okay. What do you make of the question that they ask? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Good question, bad question. What do you think? What do you make of that question? Yeah, Stephen. You know, it's, it's like following the law. <clears throat> I think it, uh, the first impression I got was, it was it's like following the commandments or what do I have to do as a Pharisee? Yeah, so you're saying that, that it seems to sort of, um, you didn't use the word anxious, but it sort of evokes an anxiety there that I want to know what it is that I need to do. Is that what you did? I didn't yeah. say it like you did, but... Legalistically, what, yeah, what, I, I want to measure it. Yeah, so what would motivate that question? What would motivate that question, or a question like that? Yeah, Richard. Maybe the people are, they're, they're kind of focused on checklists. 
Have you noticed that? You yeah. Know, it's kind of like, you know, what must I do to get an A in this class? Well, you have to turn in this paper, this paper, and this paper. Yeah. I mean, there is some rational side to that, isn't there? Because in most um, settings, school, work, other, you know, things, you kind of have to do stuff in order to earn your paycheck. I mean, is that kind of how it is? And most of us have jobs that we do? Yeah, okay. So, so and, and what happens if you don't do the stuff? They say, oh, we love you anyway. You're a good person. No, they don't. That you get demoted or you don't get promoted or you, whatever it is that happens to you, okay? But probably most of it isn't, isn't good. So they want to know. Now, so how many of you are checklist people? Oh, see, look how, and how many of you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and figure, ah, it'll get done whenever? <laughs> okay, yeah. How many of you are the fly by the seat of pants and you're married to a checklist person? <laughs> oh, yeah, isn't that amazing how that works out? Yeah. And how's that working for you, right? Yeah. All right, so there is, a, there is a kind of anxiety that kicks in, and from a Jewish perspective, that would make perfect sense. Because the Jewish people, their whole lives, had been taught by the rabbis that a good Jew and somebody who's assured of being, uh, receiving the inheritance of heaven is somebody that's going to follow the law, right? God's law. And we're talking about the Ten Commandments uh, in a specific way, but also all of God's law, including what the rabbis said was, uh, was God's law. So they want to know, when they hear Jesus say, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that endures, they want to know what that is, all right? But always within a question like that are some anxieties. If you'll go to the next page, I've kind of listed some there in terms of the thought that, that following the law, and certainly we could say from a legalistic perspective, but also even from just that that's the focus of your life, is what would be on the minds of somebody asking that question, okay? So the first one is, what is the list of good works which keeps you in God's favor? The anxious concern of that is, I want to be sure I'm doing the right thing. Okay, so how many of you have found that in any relationship that you have, okay, family, work, with friends, whatever, is that you put a lot of effort into doing what at the time you thought was the right thing, only to discover later what? It didn't count. It wasn't on the target list. It wasn't on the... So you can see where there would be this fear, would there not be? That how do we know... What are the things that God says counts versus the things that the human says count? And so that, you, you kind of get this, uh, this worry, this little bit of this spiritual fear that they have about that. What is the list? We want to know what the list is because then we can devote ourselves to doing the list and we don't have to waste our time doing stuff that doesn't, isn't on the list, okay? All right, the second one is another thought that possibly would pop into the mind of somebody asking that question, is does the attitude in which you do the works count? So the anxious concern is, I want to make sure that my motives are pure enough and void of any selfishness or pride. I remember when I was in school, can't remember which school it was now, but in one of the classes we took, I think it was a philosophy class, was talking, was debating the whole issue of the idea of what are people's motivations for doing things. And there was a big debate about that in terms of 
is there, is there any human being alive who can truly say that any of their, uh, any of their actions are, tr- are purely altruistic? That they are purely all about helping somebody else and having absolutely no thought whatsoever to, to any benefit or good feeling that might have in you yourself. What do you think about that? Well, I think a mother, as a mother, you do a lot for your children in, in, lo- in not expecting anything back or uh, other people to say, oh, well, you know, I mean, I think mother's love. Mother's love covers all things. Well, not all things, but I think. Oh, not all things. Yes. You don't have that, um, like, oh, uh, well, my kids are going to really appreciate. You know what I'm saying? I think you care for them. Yes, but don't we hope for that that they'll really appreciate this? Yes. And you know what I always say is that just hang in there till they're 35, and then they'll be thanking you for everything you did for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So perhaps. A, a mother's love in terms of sort of that biological drive, that, that protective drive that uh, mamas have, and, and especially when they become mama bears, right? That there's that, you know, there's, there's very little in terms of how that might affect negatively. And that, that's a good point. That's, I hadn't thought about that. Okay, anybody else? Thoughts about that? Okay, what about in terms of our spiritual walk, our spiritual lives? See, what this gets at is that sometimes people are overheard saying, give until it feels good. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, sometimes it's give until it hurts. I mean, that's kind of what people say. But give until it feels good, implying that, that it, it's okay or that, that there's the motivation for what you do in terms of your serving is so that you can feel good. Is there anything wrong with feeling good about serving? No. Not a bit. It's a wonderful thing when you can feel good about serving. It's like when I did the baptism this morning, nearly choked up, okay? Did you notice that, by the way? Yeah, I could barely get through it because I just love doing those moments with, uh, with the little kids. But it's like, you know, there is a good feeling associated with it, okay? But what happens if, you're, if going after the good feeling is the only thing that is, or the most significant thing that is, uh, is all about your serving, what happens then? What happens if you encounter something that you need to do that you don't want to do, and yet you have to do it? What then? See, and so that's when this, this whole idea of putting your focus in the right place, that at the end of the day, why do we serve? Why do we give? Why, why do we do anything? Is because God has already given to us. It's not because only that it, it's going to feel good or there's something uh, coming back to me in the form of a, of a good feeling. Okay? The third question that probably uh, would uh, be a part of this uh, question, the bigger question, is how do you know if you're doing enough? In other words, is there a quota? So the anxious concern there is, is that I want the security of knowing that I am doing enough to please God. Now, for some people, it's not that they're trying to please God, they're trying to appease God. What is the difference? What's the difference between pleasing and appeasing? Appeasing is what? 
the, there's a fear base, isn't there? You know, all of the, or most of the, the religions that involve uh, some form of idol worship, and this was particularly true in uh, Old Testament times, is that if you ever saw a picture or a carving of the God they worshipped, it wasn't really a, a touchy-feely kind of thing that you would want to come up and snuggle with that God. That God had an angry look or expression on his face. And so the, the people lived in a lot of fear that, the, that if the people were uh, displeasing in their behavior toward the God uh, or, or toward his representatives, then the angry God would bring calamity upon the people. And uh, there were plenty of examples of that. In fact, I think that in some sense of it, the fear of God was something that was way more uh, present in the people of old, maybe even than it is today. Because a, a lot of things that happen today in terms of calamities and disasters and things get sort of shuffled off into uh, uh, a climate change or into uh, science or into some sort of man-made consequence of something. And hardly anybody talks about the idea anymore that maybe God's not really happy with, uh, with some of the things that uh, we're involved in doing. So there's this idea of wanting that security. And then finally, the big one. It, that would have been behind that question that they asked is, does the bad which you do count against the good that you do? And the anxious concern there is, I need to know if I'm doing enough good to overcome the bad in my life. Can you see where that or some parts of that could have been part of the motivation or the anxiety that they would have had in asking that question originally of Jesus? Yeah, what must we do? And this must have been a pervasive uh, fear that existed in the minds and the hearts of people because there's a couple of other examples in the New Testament in particular where somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to do the works of God? What must I do? And you sort of get this feeling that there was not a sense of security, which makes total sense. If your security is based on what God has already done for you, you don't have anything to worry about. But if your security is based on what you are doing for God, you got plenty to worry about. Because at the end of the day, we're all sinners. Every single one of us falls short consistently. And what are you going to do with that? And that's when you start to worry about this good, bad thing. And will the scales be... Uh, be balanced. So legalism promises to reduce uncertainty, but in fact, it increases anxiety. Only the gospel of what God has already done for us can truly calm the heart. When somebody is anxious and worried, what is the best thing you can do? Pray. What else? Them. How? Teaching the gospel. Yes. Yes. And so if you're the anxious person and I'm standing over here, Austin, I will now tell you the gospel. What if you don't hear me because you're so anxious? What could I do? Just be close to touch on It's okay if I give you a manly hug? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> That's gospel. That's what God does for us. He doesn't stand over there and yell at us and tell us to get our act together. Not when we're anxious, not when we're afraid, not when we're alarmed. What he does is he sends Jesus to come over into our heart and our life and give us a hug. That's what he does. Did I embarrass you in that moment? Oh, rats, I was going for it. Sorry. 
<laughs> Poor Austin, this is the last time he's sitting up in the front with you. I know. Well, I know. I mean, you know, I stare at people over there and I give hugs to people over here. So, yes, I know it. Yes, okay. All right. So, so what? So let's get it, go, go the rest of the way here. All right. So he says then, what does he say? This is the work of God that what? What? This is the work of God. That you get the list done. That you make sure everything is on the right thing. That you're following the straight and narrow. That you're standing straight and flying right. That, uh, that's what the work of God is. No, that's what they thought it was. But what does he say the work of God is? That you what? That you believe in him whom he, that's God, has sent. What Jesus does is he redefines the work of God relationally based rather than activity based. That's the difference. Now, it's not to say that our works aren't important. Our works are important, but they are in response to what God has already done for us. They don't earn us anything as if they even could. We're imperfect. How in the world can imperfect people create any sort of favor with God? There's not a way for us to do that. The only way that we could do that is if we were perfect and we know Jesus is the only one who is. So works equal faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Now notice what their response is. They say, well, okay, we're willing to believe in you if what? If you will show us a sign then we will believe you. Now, logically, didn't they just see one? What was the one they just saw? The feeding of the 5,000 people. So you think, okay, how in the world could a human being see a miraculous act of God and then say that wasn't the sign? Or it wasn't good enough. Or it wasn't good enough. Or it wasn't done the right way. And that's what's getting at here. They wanted to see a sign so that they could believe. But the problem is they had defined so narrowly what the sign would look like that there wasn't any way that anybody was going to be able to meet that. And where the clue to that shows up is, is in this bread from heaven thing. So notice what he says. He says again that truly I say to you, or they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The key phrase was bread from heaven. So the rabbis had said that the only sign of the true Messiah was that he could create a manna-like bread that wasn't made out of anything earthly. It would come from heaven. Literally, remember the story in the Old Testament? Well, this sort of dew-like material, whatever it was, that wasn't made of anything except that which came from heaven. So they said bread from heaven. And so then they said, therefore, bread and fish didn't count. (laughs) Now follow the logic. Follow the logic. Why wouldn't it count? Because it wasn't heavenly. It was already present. Now, never mind the fact that it was just a little box, box lunch. I mean, what you get from Jason's Deli was bigger than this, right? <laughs> and by the way, the fish, when you think of the fish, what are you thinking of? What sort of kind of fish is, is in your head, like of what that would have been? Like a It was like, it wasn't. It, we would think a pike, right? It wasn't that. It was little salmon, I mean, little uh, sardines. 
And they were kind of oily and, you know, kind of gross. And I hope that Jesus' version of that tasted better than the sardines. But anyway, you think, you'd think that the, the, the way in which Jesus did the miracle would have been enough of a sign. They said, no, no, that's, that didn't count. What counted was the one that we say it is, which is manna-like from, uh, from heaven. Well, that's why Jesus says then, Truly I say to you, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then he goes on to define what the true bread is. The true bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. How in the world could it be that people can see a miraculous act of God and then say, it doesn't count? Does that just blow your mind? Think about when you did it last. See, think about when we do that. Yeah, okay, maybe not in as great a way as this sort of interaction. But how often do we think about the miracles of God in our own lives and just kind of discount them? Or we say, well, yeah, that's a little thing. I want the big things, right? We sort of have a list of the miracles that you want to see. And I don't know what it is about human nature, but... I know how it is for me. When I'm so focused on how I think it ought to be, I miss entirely the blessings of how it is. And I think what he's getting at here is, is that the blessing of how it is is in him and everything else in life is icing on the cake. And see, I think a, gra- a grateful heart or thankful heart really is actually what realizes that. But it, does, it takes some work to do that. Because in our world around us, there's so much of the focus materially. You know, if you have enough money, if you have enough things, if you have the right things, if you have, you know, the list of things, okay? Especially we think about that now with, uh, in the Christmas uh, season, for, as example. And I'm all in favor of giving presents. I just want to go on record. <laughs> I'm also in favor of receiving them. So, you know, that's... Uh, I want to be on record there, right? Okay. But still, it's this idea of that sense of focus and where, where is your focus and where is your ultimate security. Okay? So verse 35. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, I would sort of suggest that many times the hungering and thirsting that people have in life for material things is really kind of their own band-aid for feeling a lack of being filled spiritually. And isn't that the way it sometimes works? 
is that when we feel empty inside, when we feel spiritually empty, like God is a long ways off and I'm over here, or when it just feels like that there's nothing going on spiritually, isn't it true that we are often tempted to fill that emptiness with something material, something that we think will make us feel good? Right? Yeah, I was at Starbucks the other day. And I, I promise, I just went in for a drip. That's all I went in for was the venti drip with room, of course. The drip is like, you know, just regular coffee. I, I'm trying to understand that look on your face now as you're, <laughs> as you're relating to me, Janet. Yeah, so there I'm there, I'm up there, and I was, I was kind of hungry, I have to admit that. So I was hungry, that, which was, dang, I shouldn't have gone in there. I should have eaten an apple before I went in there. But anyway, I went in there. And I was looking at the menu, and I was thinking, okay, venti drip, venti drip, venti drip. But what came out of my mouth was different than venti drip. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. You know, I think it was the peppermint mocha latte <laughs> with a double shot of something. I can't remember what it was. Okay. All right. And... I have to admit, I did feel way better after I had that, and I felt spiritually fulfilled, too. I don't know what happened on that one, yeah. But that just sort of tells you, isn't it, how, how easy it is to do that when we have that sense of emptiness inside. And not that I'm against uh, Starbucks. Actually, I'm in favor of Starbucks, okay? But again, it just tells you how easy it is to do that. Now, what if I made my whole life about that? Who said, hmm, who said that? Hmm, yeah. But what's, uh, what's the downside of that, obviously? Yeah. My health isn't so great then, right? Yeah. Costs a lot of money, yes. And ultimately, does it work? No, it's temporary. It's temporary. And that goes back, see, again, to this idea that food that perishes versus food that endures, Jesus says. He says, I am the bread of life. Notice I love that, the fact that he includes the words, I am. And what's the word I am mean? That's God's name, right? He's using God's name. He's saying I am, and he's talking of himself, and he's using God's name as the bread of life. So it's that whoever comes to me is never going to hunger for a, a spiritual righteousness. We'll never thirst for spiritual righteousness. Yes, we will have hunger and thirst in this life temporarily. Yes, we will have moments of emptiness. We will have moments when, when everybody seems like they're against us, when nothing's going right. We're going to have that. But at the end of the day, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, Jesus says. He is the bread of life. Now, what do you make of verse 37? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Kind of sounds like everybody's saved. Whoever comes to me. Ah, whoever comes to me. So coming to me means what? It's faith. Yeah. Because again, it's the works of God is what? Is believing in, in him who was sent by God. So the belief, the faith is the aspect of whoever comes to me. Isn't that good news? To know that your faith, no matter how strong or how weak it might be, how mature it might be or how immature it might be, is still what? Faith. It's enough, not because of how great our faith is, but because of what Jesus has already done for us and the linkage of faith to the gift of God's grace, okay? So isn't that a beautiful idea that, so you think about it from that perspective. So 
there's some verses that I found in the Bible that had to do with this idea of whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And the beauty of it is, is that it doesn't matter how long you have had faith. It's nice if you've had it your whole life, but it's not, that's not the essential factor in terms of whether or not he will accept you or, uh, or reject you. So look at verse uh, uh, Luke 23, 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Who's, who's speaking there? Jesus. Jesus. And who's he talking to? The thief on the cross. Now, we would, we would surmise that the thief on the cross probably was not a believer until that moment. Now, he's kind of cutting it kind of close, right? Yeah. Eleventh hour, so to speak, there. But notice, even, even in, that, in that small but profound confession of faith, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, does he have a theological degree? No, he does not have an extensive a history of reading the Bible and knowing the commandments and, and doing all the things that God wanted him to do. He didn't have that. He, didn't, he wasn't uh, uh, baptized in the Lutheran church. He wasn't confirmed in the Lutheran church. He was just a thief on the cross, right? And what does Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? I'm not recommending that you wait until the 11th hour. All right? I want to go on record right now saying that. All right? Well, look at Matthew 20, verse 6. He says, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said, you go into the vineyard too. Do you remember that story? What's the story? The, yeah, it's a parable of the workers, all right? And, and it has a little different point in, in the story, but the point here is these guys got hired when? At the end of the day, they weren't the ones hired at the beginning of the day. And so again, it gets to this idea that, that their faith would have been very immature and short-lived. And yet, what is it that Jesus does? He says, come on in, be a part of my kingdom. And then the last one is Luke, 20, Luke 15, verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. What's the context there? Prodigal son. So that's the story of the young son takes the money and run and blows it all, and then he finally comes back, and when he comes back, his father does what? Runs out to meet him, which would have been unheard of in, uh, in those days. So it, it, it goes to this idea that, that faith in him, regardless of when you come to faith in your life, faith in Jesus, he says, you belong to me. I will never cast you out. And finally then he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but will raise it up. So he's really pointing now in an eschatological way to the end, right? To when we will all be raised up uh, in faith and go to heaven to be with him. Okay? Good stuff? All right. I guess I need to end uh, now. I got to go back to work. So let's remember now, uh, uh, December, the, the uh, schedule will change. Um, I haven't talked to Philip yet about what we're going to do uh, for the podcast because we try to do that every week. I think what he and I will probably try to do is uh, 
May we do some kind of informal conversation, sort of Bible sparring or whatever it is he wants to do, but we'll try to come up with something. So this week, we'll, you'll still have the podcast for today, but then we'll figure out how we're going to do uh, the Christmas holiday, okay? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy that we all share in and the joy we have in knowing that your love is there for us. And that in your love for us, you have promised that we in faith can be confident that what you've done for us is enough. Lord, I know that in our world today and and even in our own lives, every once in a while some doubt will creep in and we think, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Is, Is what I'm doing really counting? Is it really making a difference? At the end of the day, that's not what's important, Lord. What's important is what you've done for us and the fact that it has made the difference in our lives and that it is truly effective for our salvation. So help us take the joy of that, dear Lord, as we move into the uh, Christmas season. Help us be mindful of, uh, of the opportunity to share with others and to give to them and to live with them the great news of what your Son has done for us. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.